we acknowledge the Wajuk people and the wider Noongar community on whose lands we sit today and pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I'd like to thank our teacher Ross Bolotoroshi for inviting me to give a talk. We send him good wishes during his sabbatical. Please sit comfortably. Nice warm night tonight. <clears throat> Ross invited me to speak about the elements of Zen practice, touching on four areas, posture, working with the breath, working with the koan, and working with the moment. For inspiration, I returned to the orientation notes of the Zen group of WA and some of the recommended readings. It was good to read them again. I will quote from some of them tonight and add a couple of my own thoughts. I hope to mention something that will inspire you a little. So first we have to take up a stable posture. Why? So that we can relax at a deep level. Why? Because what we are trying to do when we sit is not the normal everyday action of survival. So we have to train to let those survival centers slow down and take a little rest for a while. So I'll quote first from uh, Yasutani Roshi's introductory lectures as published in Three Pillars of Zen, edited by Philip Kaplow. <clears throat> At the moment of enlightenment, Shakyamuni spontaneously cried out, wonder of wonders, intrinsically all living beings are Buddha, endowed with wisdom and virtue, but because people's minds have become inverted through delusive thinking, they fail to perceive this. Yes, how truly marvelous that all beings, no matter who, are whole and complete just as they are. That is to say, the nature of every being is inherently without a flaw, perfect, no different from that of Amida or any other Buddha. This first declaration of Shakyamuni Buddha is also the ultimate conclusion of Buddhism. Yet hum human beings, restless and anxious, live half-crazed existences because their minds, or our minds, heavily encrusted with delusion, are turned topsy-turvy. We need, therefore, to return to our original perfection, to see through the false image of ourselves as incomplete and sinful, and to wake up to our inherent purity and wholeness. The most effective means by which to accomplish this is through Zazen. In Buddhism, thought is referred to as the stream of life and death. It is important in this connection to distinguish the role of transitory thoughts from that of fixed concepts. Random ideas are relatively innocuous, but ideologies, beliefs, opinions, and points of view, not to mention the factual knowledge accumulated since birth to which we attach ourselves, are the shadows which obscure the light of truth. 
So long as the winds of thought continue to disturb the water of our self-nature, we cannot distinguish truth from untruth. It is imperative, therefore, that these winds be stilled. Once they abate, the waves subside, the muddiness clears, and we perceive directly the moon of truth that has never ceased shining. So, so this is this is me. Um, so, how do we do this? There are many postures, and each has its own demands on our legs and our backs. Um, I'll just, just demonstrate a few of the classic ones. So, there's Burmese, um, which is what I'm doing now with the right leg at the front. You can. There's also Burmese with the left leg at the front. There's a half lotus with the right leg on top. And there is half lotus with the left leg on top. And for, for some of these or all of these, you might need a small or large cushion under a knee or under both knees. The idea is to be able to put weight down. Uh, then there's also um, Caesar on a cushion, and you can do Caesar on a bench, it's like Paul's doing, um, and you can sit in a chair and you can lie down on your back. So returning to Yasutani Roshi, he focuses on those, the kind of classic seated cushion postures. Um, but I think these, the same points apply to no matter what posture. So the, the main point of this particular method of sitting is that by establishing a wide, solid base with the legs and both knees touching the mat, you achieve repose and stability. When the body is immobile, thoughts are not stirred into action by physical movements and the mind is more easily quieted. After you've placed your legs, bend forward so as to thrust the buttocks out, then slowly bring the trunk to an erect posture. The head should be straight. If looked at from the side, your ears should be in line with your shoulders and the tip of your nose in line with your navel. The body from the waist up should be weightless, free from pressure or strain. Keep the eyes open and the mouth closed. The tip of the tongue should lightly touch the back of the upper teeth. If you close your eyes, you will fall into a dull and dreamy state. The gaze should be lowered without focusing on anything in particular, but be careful not to incline the head forward Experience has shown that the mind is quietest with the least fatigue or strain when the eyes are in this lowered position. And there's a footnote from Philip Kaplow. The center of gravity of the body-mind should be about two inches below the navel. So me again, uh, so holding the spine erect, so there's no pressure internally. Stay relaxed and balanced rather than straining towards a ramrod straightness. Keep your head erect too, not 
trying to not let it fall too far to one side or the other. Take a deep breath, hold it for a moment and breathe out and rock the body side to side. So what we have created is a tripod. There's weight into the left knee and there's weight into the right knee and there's weight back in the buttocks. And in the center of the tripod is your belly. And above your belly balances your chest and your neck and your head. So working with the breath and the practice of counting the breath, returning to Yasutani Roshi's introductory lectures, he says the value of this practice lies in the fact that all reasoning is excluded and the discriminative mind is put at rest. Thus the waves of thought are stilled and a gradual one-pointedness of mind achieved. To start with, count both inhalations and exhalations. When you exhale, concentrate on one. When you exhale, on two. And so on up to ten. Then you return to one and once more count up to ten, continuing as before. If you lose count, return to one. So, me again. <laughs> so, the, so breathing and the sensation in the belly. Following the breath out and down into the belly, watching it go, staying with it. Follow the sensation down, relax, relax, feel the relaxation, little lines of tension are able to let go. There are lines of unconscious tension there. Fear and pain and anxiety, pride and shame, old memories, Many things are held down in the belly. I have an image or a metaphor that I sometimes like. Uh, if this doesn't seem helpful to you, then please just discard it. The image is a feeling, is about a feeling, not a literal thing. And the image is this. In the low belly, there is a deep, deep lake. It's a huge, deep lake of soothing, cool, black water. Its depths cannot be fathomed. The lake expands out wider and wider as it goes deeper, so you cannot see the edges. When the breath comes in, I sink into that lake, and when the breath goes out, the lake and me expands and grows. The feeling of this lake reminds me a little of Philip McNamara's How to Catch a Fish as quoted from The Crow Flies Backwards and other New Zen koans by Ross Bolletar. When I was young, my uncle would take me fishing along small creeks. The streams would mostly dry up in summer except for a couple of pools. I had many questions about the wonder of these pools. I was told that they were unimaginably deep and, though, and that, though divers had gone down to find out why the pools never dried up, the bottom had never been reached. I could see they were not wide enough for a submarine to explore, but I imagined that even a submarine would never reach the bottom. My uncle said that the best fish lay in holes deep in those pools 
that never dried up. I was too scared to ever swim in them like he did, but I like to imagine that one day I'd get a fishing line long enough to catch that fish. So what I'm saying here is that you have a pool like that in your belly. Relaxation, a deep relaxation. Don't force the breath to go out, let it happen. And then breathing in, just wait. The breath will come of its own accord. You don't have to pull it in or down. You don't have to decide anything. It will come and go when it's ready. Relaxing on the out breath, relaxing on the in breath. Relax the belly as the breath comes in. Relax the belly as the breath goes out. Relax the belly in between the in and out. And when thoughts come up, Yasutani Roshi again, fleeting thoughts which naturally fluctuate in the mind are not in themselves an impediment. You must realize that no matter how intently you count your breaths, you will still perceive what, you will still perceive what is in your line of vision since your eyes are open and you will hear the normal sounds about you as your ears are not plugged. And since your brain likewise is not asleep, various thought forms will dart about in your mind. They will not hamper or diminish the effectiveness of Zazen unless evaluating them as good, you cling to them, or deciding they are bad, you try to check or eliminate them. You must not regard any perceptions or sensations as an obstruction to Zazen, nor should you pursue any of them. Let random thoughts arise and vanish as they will. Do not dally with them and do not try to expel them, but merely concentrate all your energy on counting the inhalations and exhalations of your breath. So what about working with the koan? So I'd like to quote first from Thomas Yuho Kirshner from his foreword to the book Sitting with Koans, edited by John Dado Laurie. On first encounter, koans seem like the ultimate riddles, challenging us to transcend ordinary logic and offering the promise of spiritual insight. But as students work with them, they find that koans have their own inner logic a logic that reveals itself as practitioners come to know the mind out of which the koans emerged, a mind beyond thought and time, a mind in which there are no paradoxes. The koan is intended to lead us towards the true goal of Zen, tra Zen practice, training, which Dogen describes as to be enlightened by the 10,000 things to eliminate the separation between self and other. The koan is a tool, an aid to self-inquiry. And he warns that the student can easily mistake koans as the goal of Zen practice, rather than as a means to that goal. Whereas koan work, like all Buddhist practices, is ultimately concerned with attaining the religious ideals of awakened wisdom and selfless compassion. In the chapter, The Koan Mu, 
of his book, Taking the Path of Zen, Robert Aiken Roshi introduces the famous koan and guides us into the realm of koan study. The koan mu, which students specifically interested in realization may take up under the guidance of a Roshi after they are grounded in breath counting. The case, a monk asked Chao Cho, has the dog Buddha nature or not? Chao Cho said, Mu. Breathe Mu silently on your cushions. Breathe Mu in and out. Or just exhale Mu and keep your mind steady and quiet on your inhalations. When you first sit down, count your breaths from one to 10 in the usual way. Do this for one or more sequences until your mind is reasonably quiet, then take up Mu. Remember, it is not that you are focusing on Mu. That would be two things. Let Mu breathe Mu. You must become completely intimate with Mu. The spirit of what may be called Koan Zen, Koan Zen, is the Zen that practices realization through focus on a single word or phrase or action set forth by an old teacher. For this, you must cut your train of thought. The process of this is our Zen, in which you become intimate with Mu and all random thoughts die down of themselves. This is not the act of rooting out the source of truth, thoughts, the source of thoughts. It is the cultivation of a peace that passes all understanding, which gives rise to a sen true sense of proportion. So I, I think that this is the same spirit as working with the breath. Following the metaphor that I mentioned earlier, silently breathe the koan into the lake in your belly. With the same gentleness and softness in your belly, let the words follow the rhythm of your breath. Let the words go into the lake and let the lake swallow them up. What then? Just relax and watch and listen. You do not demand an answer. You don't need to get it right. There is nothing to be solved, just stay with it. Give the words to the lake and let them settle down under the surface, down who knows how deep. The lake is, of course, just an image. It's not really in you. It's more like you are in it, or it is you, the lake that covers the whole world and the lake is whispering the words to itself. And what about it when inevitably we feel like we're failing, when we just can't get it? Aitken Roshi reassures us that this is not how it is. He says, you are cultivating your dojo, your body and mind, as the holy place of enlightenment.
And then, even if you don't know what to say, go and see the teacher. Nearing the end now. So what about working with the moment? In the larger sense, working with the moment could mean our entire lives, on or off the cushions, out of the dojo, walking to the shops, buying chocolate, going to parties, getting into arguments at work and at home, catching the train to work at peak hour, people squashed up against you, coughing and sniffling, Are they our enemy? But this, my whole life, is just too big a step to take all at once, or maybe ever. So what about working with the moment on our cushions? Here there is shikantaza and silent illumination. I'm just going to talk a little about the practice of silent illumination. And I'll quote from Shen Yen's book, The Method of No Method, The Chan Practice of Silent Illumination. The prerequisite for silent illumination practice is to relax one's body and one's attitude. This does not mean that one is lackadaisical. The effort should be continuous, spirited, and diligent. It should be seamless, fusing into one continuous flow. Once relaxed, just feel the presence of your body sitting there. If at some point you no longer feel bodily sensations, even then you must continue being aware that the body is sitting there. This takes diligence. Keep your mind very sharp and very clear and your spirit very high. Glue your awareness right onto the whole body sensation without letting go. As an aside here, I think this explains why breath counting practice is such a fundamental and essential practice. The relaxed concentration and diligence does not come naturally. And we have to build and rebuild and maintain those foundations. Shen Yen goes on to describe how silent illumination may proceed. Continuing with the awareness of sitting there, you may reach a point where your body is no longer any burden. The body is quite peaceful and at rest. Your awareness is very clear, without scattered thoughts, and quite vivid. Proceeding like this, you may reach a point where your field of awareness naturally expands and now includes the environment. Spontaneously and naturally, you notice different things in the environment and relate intimately to it. You feel at one with it. There are many things happening, bird sounds, people talking, the wind blowing. All of these are in your field of awareness. As you continue to sit like this, you begin to identify the environment as your body. Now the environment is you sitting there. You can clearly hear sounds like a passing car. You know very well, you know very clearly it is a car, but your mind does not follow it. You are aware of what is actually happening, 
but not being pulled, not being conditioned, not allowing your mind to trail, not following particulars in the environment. Here you identify with the environment, you are the environment and it is you. And when a thought comes up, you recognize yourself trailing away, then as our teacher Ross Bolitaroshi says, when you realize you are lost, you are already home. I have, I have one more idea to offer. Uh, it seems to me that working with the breath is, in one way, is like saying no to the world. We return again and again to the narrowest focus to our breath. Working with the koan is like learning to say yes to the world, gradually including a word and then words naturally starts to bring in our thinking and maybe very gradually, I don't know, maybe nothing is excluded. And then finally, working with the moment is like seeing that these first two are really, at some level, the same thing. Sitting with the breath is already the present moment, and working with koans is already the present moment too. Thank you for your attention.